right, and hello. Welcome to It's a Scary Life. I'm Melody, your host, and this is my always wonderful co-host, Ellen. Hi. Hello. How are you doing today? We're in for a part two today. I mean, I'm excited to hear what fucked up nonsense he does next. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had a clue. We watched Psycho. Uh, I watched Psycho for the first time. Yes. It was delightful. It was lovely. It is a phenomenal movie. There are a lot of really great criticisms about it, but you know, phenomenal I mean, movie. It's a, it's an old movie. It's. I mean, it's not even for the fact that it's old. It's literally the. I mean, the trans imagery that we were discussing. Oh, when watching the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's fucked up. It's even, also like yeah. the a lot of nuance about trans folks was destroyed in book burnings in Germany. In the 1930s. Yes. Like, I... There, there is a reason that people think of trans people as this new thing, and it's because of fucking Hitler and the fucking Nazis. That's true. Yeah. And it makes me mad. There was tons of sociological history... There was so much... There was that one as guy! Well ...as studies and things that were done in the early 20th century that were all in one institute in Europe that got burnt down by the Nazis. Yep. Because it looked into things like queer people. God and, forbid. Yeah. How evil is that? Just accepting that we all exist on a spectrum. I mean, listen, if you can't send people to death camps, what is your fascist regime going to do with them? That's true. I don't know. But um, let's, uh, let's maybe move on to happier yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if this is happier. Uh, listen, uh, it happened long enough ago. We're true. good. We're yeah. good. Rollicking good time. It's true. And no one no one else is getting hurt by this, unlike the book burnings of the Nazi regime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving forward. Yeah. Uh, naturally, we're going to start off by thanking y'all for listening. Uh, this episode is a part two, which means if you, you've at least listened to one episode before, and that's fucking awesome. Thank you. We love you. Uh, if you want to support us, please do so by telling your friends about us. Just anyone you can. Go on their phone, follow us on all their apps, following us on Facebook or Instagram, or signing up to f- support us financially on our Patreon, patreon.com slash it's a scary life. We love you all. We love our patrons. Just that little bit more. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so before Ellen explodes in anticipation, let's start getting to the actual meat of the episode. Fuck yeah. So quickly, I just want to give another shout out to my main source of research on this case, Deviant, the shocking true story of Ed Gein, the original Psycho by Harold Schechter. This book is well-researched and paints a picture of how Ed Gein's crimes flew under the radar of the people of Plainfield for so long. Schechter maintains a benevolent tone when talking about the people he is discussing in the book. He gives you a sense of what the town was like at that time and may still likely be as the population of Plainfield, Wisconsin has never really gotten over a thousand people. So I highly recommend reading the book, especially for all the details that had to be left out for time. This this could go on forever. (laughs) Or because it would be too terribly long and Melody would have to bribe me with ice cream. Ice cream. Yes, I would have to bribe you uh, Ellen with ice cream as well. Not yes. just pizza. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so, Ellen, let's re just review quickly what you remember from part one of the story of Ed Gein. Okay, so Eddie was born to a messed up mom who probably should have aborted, but um, didn't. No, she did Because didn't. she was religious or some nonsense. And she really wanted a girl and she didn't get one. She got two boys. And she was terrible to her husband and a religious fanatic and moved her boys to a small fucking town where they were farmers on the like the outside of town. And um, it was messed up. And Ed allegedly murdered his brother. <laughs> yeah? A, yeah, that's a pretty... Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see here. Filling in some of those blanks. Um, Ed's father, George Gein, was an alcoholic and abusive to the family. Yeah, he sucked. Uh, his mother, Alex Augusta, is, of course, the religious zealot. Uh, she with sucked. A, yeah, which, with very extreme beliefs that classify everyone pretty much but herself as completely unworthy and sinful. Other women are harlots. Yes. Literally every other woman is a whore. Sexy, sexy harlots. <laughs> nice. I mean... You don't just go harloting if you're ugly, right? Um, you gotta be sexy. Not necessarily. They, there's a reason they have the term butterface. What the fuck is that? Her body looks good, but her face. Oh. <laughs> oh, God, I'm glad I'm ace. God <laughs> damn it. All y'all allos watch out out there. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah, that's a thing. Y'all okay? <laughs> No, I mean, obviously you're not. Um, okay, yeah. His mother sucked. His brother probably didn't. Probably. But he's know. dead. Yeah. Yeah, Ed was raised isolated on the family farm with his older brother, Henry. <laughs> and the boys were taught by Augusta a strict old worldview of the world and people. To her, no girl was pure enough for her righteous sons, especially her precious Edward, who she vowed would not be like any other men at his birth. Because apparently that's a healthy way to respond when you didn't have a girl and you really wanted one. You know, everybody processes things differently. And infanticide is frowned on in most religions. So, you know, her options were limited. Um, I, I cannot think of a religion where infanticide would be okay. I can't either. But, you know, I'm, keep, I'm, I'm keeping the options open. Okay. okay. You know. Yeah, you're, you're not going to find anyone justifying infanticide. And if we do, we are turning you into the FBI. Henry and Ed were taught that all women in Plainfield were dirty and had questionable morals. Any pushback from the older son, Henry, was stamped out by Augusta quickly. So the boys became men and bachelors living at home. George became an invalid and then died a couple years later. Hell yeah. And then Henry died of mysterious circumstances that was ultimately rude asphyxiation in an accident. A likely story. Right? Yeah. yeah it definitely, you know. definitely wasn't that Ed pushed him over and his head hit a rock and Henry was just left there to die. I mean, the thing is, in a small town, uh, they're nice. They, you know, yeah. Ed's a nice boy. He keeps to himself. Exactly. You know, his ma's a little bit, but you know. That, I mean, he's an oddball, but what are you going to do with those parents? But he's our oddball. Yes. He comes exactly. in, he's polite. He, you know, he comes into the general store, he's polite, he goes home. What, if we put him away, if we suspect him even, then we have to deal with his mother. You want to do that? Exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> Leave it the fuck alone. He's not killing, he, he killed his brother. Like, that's a family matter. <laughs> 
I, I wish I wasn't as serious as I was about this. <laughs> but, like, that is... That is a small-town mentality, though. Yeah. I mean, there have been small-town murders like that where people were like, well, it's a family matter. I mean, it's not yeah. unheard of. And I mean, also, like, they weren't integrated into the town, like, ever. Not really. Like, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like, so... It's not like he was killing one of their own. No. Yeah. He killed his own brother. It's a family matter, and it doesn't affect us. Yeah. He's, and it was yeah. easy to look at as just an accident. Yeah. He was fighting a fire. He probably got too hot and asphyxiated. It, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, so, the heat plus the ash and stuff, it, it does things to people. Absolutely. And it wasn't an unusual type of thing to happen other than the weird circumstances <clears throat> Specifically in his case. People die sometimes. It happens. It's yeah. life. But, of course, it was more than likely the work of his little brother, Eddie. Wait. Yeah. Augustine and Ed had a few good months together, living their warped little dream of being just them. And then tragedy strikes for Ed. Augustus suffered a stroke, and he cared for her until she was well again, giving Ed no thanks for his help. Of course not. Unfortunately, Augusta soon suffers another stroke, and this time she does not make it out of the hospital. Ed Gain is left all alone, isolated on a farm only his mother would care for, and left to his own devices. Yep. Yeah. Isolation's a bitch. And it can bring out the most monstrous parts of a person. Yeah, humans were not... like, Like... we did not evolve to be solitary creatures. No, we are companion animals. Hell yeah. Um, we need companionship to survive. We, we need the collective. We, we do not survive alone. It's not something we do. Yeah, how long did he last before he started fucking offing people? Quite a while. Oh. Yeah. Solid. Ed without his mother was a sorry sight. He often had a scraggly bit of scruff on his chin. He'd shave only as often as he felt. Regular bathing went out the window as well, and Ed usually had a bit of a smell about him. The already weather-torn and increasingly dilapidated home looked even worse as the farm landing surrounding it started going to waste. What the fuck? You don't do that with decent land. (laughs) The equipment outs. This isn't decent land. This is land in Plainfield. I get, yeah. still, you know, I, I get the dude's depressed, his mom died. I get it. Yeah. But like, but oof. This is extremely laborious land to work. Yeah, it takes your mind this off it. This is something that, you know, had they spent their time doing nothing but raising chickens, probably would be good soil by now. Yeah. But instead, it's a shit show. Yeah. His farming equipment rusting outside in the same spots for years on end. Inside the home was no better. Ed moved himself into the, the dining room and used it as a bedroom and living room. Inside the room was the door to the most important room of the house to Ed. His mother's parlor and bedroom. Oh, no. No. No one was allowed in there. Not even Ed himself. The house's rooms and hallways were always filled with the items Ed wanted to hold on to. Boxes and boxes of newspapers and crime and horror magazines were everywhere. Ed hadn't cleaned a day since Augusta's death, so there was a layer of dust on everything. 
The curtains became worn and moldy over time, and the rooms downstairs just kept filling with Ed's things. He would make himself dinner every night by putting a can of pork and beans directly on the stovetop and then dumping it into a pole, throwing the can on the floor. Buddy. Buddy. Yeah, it's bad. Oof. Mm-hmm. Also, where is he getting his money if he's not farming? We'll get there. Oh, no. Yeah. It isn't known how long it was after Gus's death that Ed started to hear his mother's voice as he went about his day in the house. But in his delusional mind, his mother was never too far. Ed would often visit the local cemetery to lay on top of his mother's grave, getting as close to her as he was allowed now. While he laid there, he imagined being able to bring her back, hoping his wishes could come true and that his love and desire alone would resurrect her. As were any what? other if this were any other type of podcast that'd be real sweet uh this is this is no that's 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 an unhealthy level of grieving that is that's not good fair enough <laughs> doing it like once or twice fine this is like a regular occurrence okay okay yeah. so it's a little it's you know yeah okay <laughs> oof Ed missed having the buxom woman around to tell him what to do. His entire life since birth was his mother, and losing her in many ways broke an already broken man. Ed would get his income by doing jobs around town. He would work as a farmhand fairly often. To the people of Plainfield, he was still Oddle Eddie, the town's own Boo Radley. He was a hard worker and mild-mannered, polite to everyone he saw. No one thought there could be a bad bone in Eddie's body. The men found him a bit weird and juvenile. When Ed would try to say a comment about a woman in front of them, he'd say something about how pretty she was or some other platitude that sounded more like a preteen beginning to discover romantic attraction rather than a man in his 40s. And though Eddie didn't seem so scandalized by sex talk as he had when they were growing up, Ed still seemed uncomfortable with such overt sexuality. All right. I mean, understandable, but, yeah. you know, take it with everything else. Mm. Yeah, there's the sexual repression feeds into everything else, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. Naturally, as That's sexual repression, repression does. does. <laughs> the women on the farms Ed would work often took pity on him, but mostly regarded him for being more polite than his counterparts. It was customary at the time for the wife of a farmer to feed any farmhands a midday meal for their work on top of their wages. Ed would always let the other men go first as they burst into the home, got their food, and sat at the table with their meal. He would then peacefully get his food and sit down always last to finish. As the other men would go back to work, Ed would sit finishing his meal. The woman of the house would always note that Ed had a habit of staring during this time looking away quickly when he was caught. Those who took pity on him thought about how horribly lonely he must be, living an isolated life before his family's deaths and now all alone. Others saw this more odd behavior from the town's weirdo. That small town living. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's just like, well, that's old Eddie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ed made a few friends after his mother's death with some of the boys in town. He would have them over and played cards with them for hours. Those who weren't interested in cards would be allowed to play with some of his things, often allowing kids to use his leather punch 
to poke holes in paper and pieces of leather that have been sitting around. What was the leather, Melody? As far as I know, leather. Oh, thank fuck. Okay. It was during one of these times that he was hanging with the, bo- with the boys that it became known that Odd Eddie Gein owned a couple of shrunken heads. He told them that they were authentic shrunken heads from the South Pacific. A cousin had sent them during World War II, and they were a keepsake Ed was very proud of. After the kids told people in town about the heads, though, he stopped allowing people into his home. Oh, God. Most no. kids had been scared of the Gein house, though. Like many of the unkempt houses in small towns, the kids rumored that the house was haunted. This thought was perpetuated by the lack of care to the home and glowing light that can be seen through tattered curtains of Ed's candle when it was dark. But what really solidified the rumors of hauntings for children was something a couple kids saw one dark night when passing the Gein home. They could have sworn they saw Augusta Gein walking around out front with her dress hair, and all. (laughs) I wonder who it could be. It must be a ghost, Melody. Must be. Mm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Without his mother, Ed was enjoying the way he wanted to live life for himself. And this meant he could also have the time to think about the things his mother found sinful. Ed thought a lot about women. Most importantly, he thought about the ways he was a bit jealous of them. He entertained fantasies of having a vulva instead of a penis. After growing up mostly isolated on a farm in Wisconsin in the early 20th century and being raised by a woman who saw nothing but evil and temptation in women, the idea of simply changing this about himself and living an honest life, leaving his mother's ideals behind, never occurred to Ed. Instead, Ed loses himself and his mind in his true crime magazines. One story in particular fascinated Ed to no end. It was an issue of man's action, featuring a lustfully drawn cover of a blonde woman in a Gestapo uniform. The main subject of the issue being Ilsa Koch, the bitch of Buchenwald. I mean, you gotta love alliteration. It's true, yeah. Still, a Gestapo, you know, ugh. Yep. Ugh. I, get, I, I get where they're going with it. It's just, mm-hmm. The wife of the overseer of Buchenwald, Carl Otto Koch, who became infamous for her uniquely grotesque treatment of the prisoners of Buchenwald and Majdanek. She took people's money and used it for frivolities, taunted prisoners and whipped them if they looked at her. She sent children to the gas chamber with a glimmer of excitement prisoners could see in her eyes. Most important, famously, though, and as was the main focus of her trials, Ilse Koch would produce prisoner, would choose prisoners to be murdered and skin them. She collected skin with tattoos as trophies and had a collection of items made of human skin, lampshades, book covers, even gloves. And she was that lady. Yeah. What the fuck? The bitch of Buchenwald. What the fucking fuck? Yeah. This is healthy. This is this is healthy reading for yeah. a middle-aged man who's deeply repressed and had a fucked up childhood. This is I can't yeah. see where this would go wrong. Yeah, especially since he's fully isolated and has no real companionship, has never had healthy relationship in his life ever. How could this go wrong? I don't it it's a mystery, Melody. Mm-hmm. And these were the items that captured Ed's deluded mind. 
with the combination of a dreadful isolated childhood that led to a lonesome adulthood and Ed's focus on gruesome crimes, his mind twisted and broke and his criminal life began. Beginning in 1947, Ed would have a descent into crime. His fascination with Ilse Koch's work with human skin items became a desire within him. No. He wanted to make some items similar for himself in order to fulfill what had become his deepest desire, bringing back his mother. Ed wanted to fashion himself a suit out of women's flesh that so he could literally crawl into her skin. And that is a quote. Uh, uh, Crawl into her skin. Just. I had a lot more empathy for this man before I actually researched him. God. I'm so, I'm sorry. Getting really attached to some fucking Nazi serial yeah. killer torture lady. I I lose a lot of sympathy. Yeah. Like I get it. The human skin things are fascinating. Yeah, and, but, but like that could be like you know a relative or something. Yeah. You know. But like I just yeah. There's so much about it. Where did you care that she was a Nazi yet? Probably not. I mean, honestly. <laughs> honestly, yes. It's He lives in the middle of Wisconsin in the early 20th century. He is probably a racist. Like, it, Yeah, but this mother's upbringing an anti-Semite yeah. of the highest fucking order. Yeah, like, he, he's probably very anti-Semitic, very racist, and probably does not fucking even realize it. No. I mean, who's going to challenge his belief? The neighbors? No. <laughs> uh this is central Wisconsin. That they're all that way. God's bless. No offense to anyone who's in central Wisconsin right now who is prove us wrong. Yes, please, please. prove us wrong, please. It's been weak, guys. If you are on the left, talk to your cousins and prove us wrong. But like safely, please. <laughs> yes. We don't we don't need to lose any uh any listeners. Or like humans. Humans. Yeah. That's we, the yeah. We, you don't need to lose your life over things, but also Get your cousins. Getting back to Ed Gein, though. Yeah. Ed had been stuck between a rock and a hard place. See, Ed abhorred violence and blood. When he hunted, uh, he only caught small game, like rabbit or squirrel, even cringing at the small amounts of blood that resulted from gutting those. In fairness, uh, rabbit is delicious. I mean, sure. I mean... It's also always in season, so it's one of those things. Hell yeah. Yeah, and all you really have to do is set a snare and wait. Absolutely. So he'd probably just set a snare and just sit <laughs> and yeah. like watch the world go by, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a good... Anyways, I haven't had rabbit in a while, and it is delicious. But you also love venison. He would not have killed a deer. I mean, in fairness, I haven't either. I'd be willing to, but like... Yeah, he was not willing. The amount of blood that was everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no one needs to hand me a weapon. I'm bad at things. <laughs> but yeah, he would not hunt a deer because of the gutting process would be too much blood. Okay. Yeah. This held him back from his goal of making his human suit. That is until one of his obsessions. No... Gave it an idea. Oh, goddamn. So while Ed read the local newspapers, he would pay special attention to the obituaries. 
He would even cut out and save his favorite ones. And it was this obsession that led him to an idea as to how he could get human skin without having to deal with blood. Ed would simply take the skin off of the recently deceased. Cool. <laughs> Great. You know, that, that, that is some impressive thinking there, bud. It's a great workaround for the blood. Not a great one for a lot of other Ethics. horrible chemicals. <laughs> morality. Yeah, in general, morality. But like... Carcinogens if yeah, they're being embalmed? These people were more than likely mostly embalmed. And yeah, there's so many toxic things in there, Ed. The blood is... That's, that's the least of your worries. Ed started to make some late night visits to the local graveyards. At first, just sitting, thinking, praying to not go through what, what he knew was a sinful urge. But then Ed could only hold back this urge for so long. When he would find the obituary of a woman who was buxom and strong, like his mother, he would feel a deep urge to take his desired skin. I just want to point out that this is, like, in this episode, this is the first time I'm hearing about his 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 mother being buxom. I guess that word last time. You did? Yeah. It must have gone over my head. Yeah. No, she's like, yeah, I described her as buxom and like a solid German woman. You were like, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that does ring a bell. I get, yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Solid German, German <laughs> woman Augusta was. And one night, he finally went into what Ed later referred to as a daze and dug up a grave to retrieve what he wanted. Between 1947 and 1952, Ed makes about 40 trips to the graveyard, most often just wasting time. Okay. But in at least nine cases, leaving with the bodies of women for his disturbing purpose. What the fuck? That is until Ed hit a long period without a fresh body. Oh. Oh. God damn it. So after his mother's death, Ed had started to visit places in town more often. But then there was only one place he would go with any bit of regularity. And that was a tavern in a neighboring town of Pine Grove. The tavern was owned by a na- woman named Mary Hogan who is much like Augusta Gein, a broad woman with an actual thick German accent. Oh, no. In Ed's eyes, she had a striking resemblance to his dear departed mother. This was where her similarities with Augusta ended, however. Mary was a foul-mouthed woman with a loose and possibly shady past. Hell yeah. Yeah, my kind of broad. (laughs) Hell yeah. Wait, what was she doing during the war? I don't know. Mm, I'm giving you that answer before I'm, before I'm like really gung-ho about this. That's true. Yeah. When did you move to America? <laughs> Do you have relatives in Argentina these days? Oh. Mm. Mm. Anywho. Yeah. Sorry to bring yeah. down the mood. <laughs> <laughs> but according to rumor in the area, Mary was twice divorced, had mob connections, and was even a madam in Chicago prior to moving to rural Wisconsin. But these are, of course, simply just rumors. Truth is, people didn't know much of anything about Mary. She didn't want them to. But to Ed, these rumors were gospel truth as they would have been for her mother, for his mother. Her might still be accurate. We don't know. Um, 
it's hard in these historical cases, especially this one. Yeah, this one it gets There's muddied some up. Shit. This one gets yeah. This one it gets very confusing. This isn't those fun like 1930s reels like the stunning blonde beauty used to be a handsome fella, but now look at her, guys. Like it's not that. <laughs> she looks better than your wife ever will. Um. <laughs> I, 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 I just really like them because they're like, there's what yeah. uh, it's nice. Yeah. Anyways, back to hell. Back to hell. Uh, yeah, back to the seventh circle of hell with that game. Ed would sit in Mary's bar, obsessed with her many similarities and egregious differences to his mother, the pure saint that he had known on earth. That is some serious brainwashing for him to see her as saintly. I just... Yeah, but again, what did he have to compare her to? That's true. Like, he didn't have... Like, neither of his of his parental figures were healthy. No. In and any sort had, of way. There was no other connection to the outside world. Exactly. He was isolated. He thinks this is normal, natural, correct. Yeah. And this is, and it's awful. Yeah. It's awful that things had to turn out this way. Yeah, it sucks. Speaking but, of how long did how long did this lady last? Not too long. Fuck. Because once once those bodies stop being supplied, temptation's too much. Yeah, it's a fresh one. So Ed became obsessed with the comparisons of his mother and Mary Hogan. His mother would deem her an unworthy woman. Mary's rumored divorces would have made her loose and a definite candidate for hell in Augusta's eyes. This line of thinking sticking in his mind mixed with Ed's delusion and desire for more of his special handcrafted items, Ed decided to kill Mary Hogan. Hmm. What the fuck? Yeah. We knew it was coming, but like, what the fuck? It's, yeah, it's awful. No matter what. The details of how Ed captured Mary Hogan are blurry. But here's what little we do now. Ed was at the bar alone with Mary. He shot her with a 32 caliber rifle. And to everyone else, she disappeared from the face of the earth. The fuck? I mean, at least she had rumored mob connections, so nobody's going to really question. (laughs) But that's the problem. (gasps) Does a mob come after him? No. Oh. (laughs) I wish. That would have made this way more interesting. That would have been fun. Um, Instead, we get a charnel house um a charnel house yeah oh fun yeah his house is a house of horrors what the fuck so on december 8th 1954 mary's tavern was found empty and silent with a pool of blood on the floor there was a 32 caliber round on the floor near the blood and the blood was streaking leading to the back door After Mary's disappearance, the town was filled with all kinds of rumors of what could have happened to her. While on the job and the subject of Mary Hogan came up, men who worked with Ed would hear him say, She's at the farm right now. I went and got her in my pickup truck and took her home. Buddy. Until, yeah, like, he he told the truth. He said the silent part. You're not... (laughs) How many more people does he kill, Melody? One. Okay. Uh, okay. This is this is within acceptable. Pra- I mean, not like acceptable parameter. You know. You know. Yeah. Okay. This they is caught why on. when you asked if it was a serial killer. I said unconfirmed. 
Okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, Sue doesn't quite. He woulda. Yes, he would have. That's the thing. Yeah. Until Ed was caught, none of them thought much of that remark. Just oddball Eddie's poor attempt at humor. God damn. Right? Small towns are something else. Had one person taken it seriously. Oh, bud. What the... I, I, I don't know why I'm still calling him bud. Like, he's a... He's, yeah, he's a grown man at this point, and he's fucking up hard. Yeah. Oof, all right, what what the fuck did he do next? A few years had gone by without incident, but then Ed started to feel the need to make himself more items around the house, and he was feeling bold again to get another woman to mutilate. Naturally, he was attracted to the next woman who reminded him of his dear mother, in looks, at least. This brought him to Bernice Warden. She was also a full-figured woman running her family business like her mother and Mary Hogan. Bernice owned Warden's Hardware and Implement Store, a family business that went back to 1890. And Hell since yeah. her, Right? And since her husband was dead, she had owned it outright. Bernice was a devout Methodist, savvy businesswoman, and someone who found peace in fishing. Girl boss. <laughs> I would I would say she's better than a girl boss. Yes, like gatekeep girl boss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she had a son, Frank, who helped her around the store and some grandchildren. She was known for being sharp tongued, and in Bernice, Ed saw another version of his mother. But of course, not the righteous type as he saw his mother as. And with the reasoning that she was deserving of divine punishment. He set his interests on her. But, right? (laughs) Ed started out by spending extra time at the hardware store. He made himself a nuisance at Warden's Hardware, annoying Bernice, who saw him little more than just the village idiot. Ed would stand around loitering and ask questions about prices and inventory. Bernice was miffed with her new pain in the ass but was always cordial to the man as his family had been customers for years and Eddie was always polite. Ed, what? Uh, it's small towns, man. Yeah. 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 It's that, well, he's always nice. He's nice. He he's pays. Nice guy. He pays his bills. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to do? And that's all they need to trust him. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, what's Eddie going to do? Murder someone and skin them alive? I don't know. Mm. Well, not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, um. Sorry, guys. I've been watching Criminal Minds. Yeah. It's getting them alive to murder them. Yeah. Yeah. Ed started to try to get Bernice to go out with him, asking her to the movies and to a local roller rink to try out the floor. Direct quote. Ah. Uh. <laughs> it's such a bad pickup line. <laughs> Sure, sure. I mean, my God, don't. Okay. This poor woman just trying to go about her day at work. (laughs) Stop asking people out at their jobs. Unless you have already built a good rapport with that person. No, even then. Don't ask people out at their jobs. Fuck you. Not you, Melody. I love you. I would Um, argue. I mean, I argue we are adults. We don't always see people in places other than sometimes their workplace. Sometimes it's the only option you have. 
just make sure like like you're not just being a horny asshole. Build a fucking rapport. And if they say no, yeah, don't bring it up off. again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do not ever bring it up again. But also don't creepily wait outside their work for them to come out. Oh, never. That's bad. That's never. worse. That's worse. That's stalking behavior. Mm-hmm. So how do you finally get her? Yeah. But Bernice had been unamused at uh, Ed's offer to try out a floor at the roller rink and had declined his offer. And without an honest way to get Bernice alone with him, Ed in his mind was forced to escalate his behavior. The beginning of deer hunting season functioned like a holiday in Plainfield. The majority of the men in town would flock to the woods and try to shoot a deer to feed their family. Oh, and yeah. yeah, right. That's what kids kids regularly miss the opening of deer season at school. Like a hundred percent. Like yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. So on November sixteenth, nineteen fifty seven, this is exactly what happened. Most of the men, including Bernice's son, Frank, went to the woods to enjoy a nice hunt in the layer of snow that had come down that morning. Ooh, that's nice. The Friday before, Ed went to the store to ask about the price of antifreeze and struck up a conversation about opening weekend of hunting season with Frank. Frank informed him he'd be out there trying to get himself something for the dinner table. And Ed felt he had a foolproof plan to capture Bernice Borden. He would come in while Frank was, and most of the townsfolk were in the woods or settled at home. He'd go to the store, kill her, bring her home, and possess Bernice Warden for all time. Gross. Yeah. Gross. I I have no other comment. Just (laughs) yuck. (laughs) When November 16th, 1957 rolls around, Ed implements his plan. He went to the hardware store and purchased some antifreeze. No surprise to Bernice as he'd inquired about the price only a few days before. She wrote up a sales receipt and watched Ed leave the store and then come back in. Ed had locked the door as he closed the door behind him. He told Bernice he was thinking of trading in his Marlin 22 rifle that only shot short rounds for one that could shoot any type of 22 round, short, long, or long rifle. He chose a gun off the gun rack and asked to examine it. <gasps> no. Bernice con- commented that it was her favorite type of rifle. No. She looked out the window to talk to Ed about her son-in-law's new car parked across the street at the filling station. No. Little did she know, Ed had taken out a 22 caliber round from his pocket <gasps> and began to load it into the gun she handed him. That that is fucked up. That no, fuck you. Oh, I know. Oh, not you, Melody. You're lovely. But like, <laughs> what the fuck, my man? Ed shot Bernie's warded in the back, giving her the wound that will end her life. Fucking coward. Bernice dragged her through the store and out the back door. Loaded Bernice, Bernice. Right? Yes. Loading Bernice's body, bleeding out into the warden's hardware panel truck in their garage, and then took off east down the road. Ed stopped not too far from the store and then went back to retrieve his truck. He loaded Bernice and the cash register, which he'd taken in the process, into his car and then headed home. All right. Well, I mean, at least that makes it look like a robbery. Yeah. I mean, it is a robbery. It's just also gross. I'm also realizing I wrote truck here. He he drives a sedan. Cool. Just, I I I know that I know what a sedan is. Yeah. 
It's a four-door car. I definitely knew that. Yeah, a typical four-door car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I super knew that. It's fine. This is fine. I know about cars. <laughs> Bernice's body was brought into the summer kitchen in Edho's home. He hung her upside down, much like a hog, with her hands tied behind her back so they didn't dangle. Mm-hmm. Ed removed Bernice's head and drained her body of any blood left. He cut open her torso and disemboweled the poor woman. Ugh. She was already dead. Yeah. Still just... Oh, it's horrific. It's it's 100% horrific. Even without her being able to feel or experience it, you're just like, that is a terrible way to die and have happened to you. Yeah. A couple hours after getting home, while covered in blood, Ed heard someone out in the yard. He hurried outside to see young Bob Hill and his sister coming to invite him over for dinner. The Hill family would have Ed over quite a bit since he closed off his home to visitors. And Irene Hill took pity on the lonely man. Aww. What wonderful misplaced feelings. Yeah. Ed also had a good relationship with Bob Hill. They were good friends. Mm. His hand, yeah. Now I'm just thinking of King of the Hill. I'm like, oof, poor Bobby. Yeah. I mean, he is still a teenager at this point. Yeah. Bob Hill. Yeah. Anyways. I can't imagine being the person being like, as a teenager, my best friend was Ed Gein. Yeah. That'd be. uh, The slap in the face of finding out his crimes for that kid. Yeah. Ed's hands were covered in blood, which he explained to the kids as being deer blood. A believable enough lie at the, belie- at the beginning of deer hunting season. If you didn't know Ed well enough. Right, is. I was about to say. Everybody knows everybody's little weird foibles, unless they don't. Unless, they, yeah. It's some of those <laughs> little tidbits that can go through the cracks. Yeah. Some adults might know that about Ed, but Bob Hill definitely didn't. No, yeah. So after his exciting and laborious day, Ed felt he could have used a good meal like Irene Hill cooked and accepted the offer for supper with the Hill family. Cleaned up his hands and left his dastardly deeds to be finished later. Oh, that is, that is so fucked up. In the book, there is like a full description of what that meal was. Yeah, I was about to ask, like, do we know what he ate? Yes, we do. Amazing. <laughs> it's actually like, it's in the book. It's very interesting. Yeah, we know what we ate. ate that shout, out, shout out to, what was the author's name? Harold Schechter. Shout out to Mr. Schechter. Yeah. That's, that is the kind of details that I want in a book. Because he, he either got it from Ed's interviews or he got it from the interviews he did of people in Plainfield. Yeah. And that's awesome. That is so cool. <laughs> I, lo- I love knowing like what people ate for dinner after a significant event. That's so fun. Thanks. Yeah. So when Frank, Bernice's son, got back from the woods empty-handed... He decided to go to the local filling station, talk to the owner about the big buck contest that was being held every year during deer season in the area. The owner answered his questions and then mentioned seeing the warden's hardware truck passing by that morning. Frank thought the information was odd. He thought his mother wanted to man the store all day, but maybe she decided to go hunting. And so he went to see for himself. When he arrived at the store, the front door was locked. Odd for his mother to lock the store, even when they were closed, but not the most unusual. Small towns. Right? Small towns. Yeah. It's a safe town filled with honest people, after all. 
Why would we need to lock up? Either way, Frank went home to fetch his key for the store and he came right back. When he opened the door, he opened up to a true horror scene. Frank had served as a deputy sheriff for about a year at this point and acted accordingly. Frank took note of the, that the cash register was missing and saw the blood on the floor in large reddish brownish stains. He could see the blood streaking down the hallway to the back door. He confirmed that, that there was no one left in the building and then called the county sheriff, Art Sheely, about 15 miles away in Watoma, to come to the scene. Good. The sheriff then called Chief Deputy Arnie Fritz for backup, and the two men sped to Warden's Hardware and Implement store. Arnie Fritz is an excellent name. Arnie Fritz is an amazing name. It's a like, nice name. Hell yeah. I trust in Arnie Fritz. He is a pig. <laughs> By the time the two had arrived, Frank had plenty of time to inspect the store for clues. Once they walked up to Frank, he informed the officers of his one and only suspect. He's done something to her, Frank told the officers. When pressed for who, he said without hesitation, Eddie Yeen. Frank told the officers that Ed had been hanging around the store quite a lot recently, bothering his mother about taking her roller skating or dancing or to the movies. And he noted that the Friday before, Eddie had come in asking about antifreeze and whether he was going hunting that day. And lo and behold, he found a sales receipt for antifreeze in his mother's handwriting from that morning. Hell yeah, Frank. Right? Hell yeah. Look at you. On top of it. My God. The sheriff and deputy called for backup from the local sheriff's departments of the area. Soon many squad quad, uh, squad soon <laughs> many squad cars were at the scene and a couple of the men were sent out to find Ed Gein. They checked the Gein home and found it without signs of life inside. They knocked on the door to be sure and once they were satisfied he wasn't home, they left to check the Hill residence as it was known by people in town that they had him over for supper from time to time. Meanwhile, Ed had enjoyed supper with the Hill family and was now playing with the younger children of the home, entertaining them and having a nice time. One of the family members came in to tell everyone about the news about Bernice Warden being missing. Irene, remembering that Ed had actually been at the house when they had gotten the news about Mary Hogan's disappearance, asked him, Ed, how come every time someone gets banged on the head and hauled away, you're always around? <laughs> and Ed simply smiled and shrugged. <laughs> I love her so much. I know. What a great, like, she seems like a nice lady. Oh my God. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. I've never met her, but I love her. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Bob Hill said he wanted to see what was going on and asked Ed to give him a ride into town. The ever-obliging man agreed with a grin. The sheriff's deputies arrived at the Hill home soon after the news hit them. They asked Irene about Ed's whereabouts, and she told him he was supposed to be taking Bob into town to see all the commotion, and they may be able to catch them in the driveway. The sheriffs caught up to Ed and Bob just before they were about to leave, and one of them knocked on the window and said, Eddie, I need to talk to you. Whoops. They asked Ed how he spent his day that day and from when he woke up to when he saw them. And then they had him tell the story again. The deputy pointed out to Ed that the second time around, his story was pretty different from the first. And Ed responded with, somebody framed me. Buddy. Framed you with what? Well, Mrs. Warden. 
what about Mrs. Warden? Well, she's dead, ain't she? From here, Ed digs a, his hole deeper for himself. The deputy probes about Ed, how Ed knew he was she was dead, knowing himself that up until this point, he and the upper deputies were attempting to locate a missing person. He told them that the people had been talking about it, but four of the deputies questioning Ed only sealed for them that they had their culprit. Being informed he was being arrested for the robbery of Warden's hardware and implement store, Ed was brought into custody. Thank fuck. You know, Ralph, he should not be in the general population. Thank goodness for Frank. Mm-hmm. Dude lost his mom and he was like, I know exactly who done did it. I'm going to point you to him. I'm going to solve this shit now. That, you know what? Good on him. Yeah. He, he had no doubts and good on him for doing so. Once the investigation had Ed in custody, the next logical step was to check his home for any sign of Bernice Warden. No, God. Yeah, this is, this is the very unfun part. Oh, strap in listeners. Yeah. The doors and windows of the main house were all locked, so the men tried the door of the summer kitchen and were able to push open as it was held on by a loose latch. The men stepped inside and shone their flashlights into what was only the beginning of horrors in the home. They noticed the rotting containers, rusting tools, and trash strewn about the summer kitchen first. Disgusted that someone would live in such filth in their home, it took them a moment of clearing the way to notice the body in the kitchen. Until an officer felt something behind Touch's jacket, and he saw a glimpse of a body without a head. The deputies knew upon sight that this mutilated, gutted body was Bernice Warden. One deputy blurted out the words, my God, there she is, and then stumbled outside and vomited. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah, this is horrific. This is the worst thing. What the fuck? These deputies will see in their lifetimes. Oh, for sure. And like these guys, they see farming accidents, hunting accidents. They see some fucked up shit. Yeah, like accidents. This is on purpose. The, yeah, that's a whole other level of what? Yeah. What am I looking at? <laughs> yeah. So once the shock of finding poor Bernice settled, they radioed in that they found the body on the Gein farm. The men were joined by the group of officers that had gathered from around the county. After seeing the remains of Bernice Warden, they all knew that this was not a first for Ed. And they knew they had to inspect the rest of his home to see if they could locate any other evidence. Namely, Bernice's head. They entered the home from the main kitchen into a world of insidious imagination that had not been seen by anyone but Ed Gein for years. The kitchen had all kinds of trash lying about, old cans, newspapers, bottles, milk cartons, tools, food scraps, rags, and so much more had to be waded through inside the home. The amount of rats and roaches in here must have been... Right? Oh my god. The men had taken in Ed's strange items about the shelves. An old coffee can filled with old pieces of gum, dentures on display on a shelf, and his wash basin full of sand. Then officers found a bowl on the kitchen table that Ed had fashioned himself out of a solf's cap that sat lopsided despite obvious marks at attempts at making it level. What the fuck? Here we fucking go. It's all downhill from here, I'm sorry. 
Uh, and this would not be the first one. The last one? Yes, the last one. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. I was like, this, would not be this the wasn't one. the first one they found? Officers started finding skull caps all around the house, as well as whole skulls, two of which were put on the bedposts of Ed's bed. Next to the stove, men found a plastic bag containing a nearly fresh human heart, Bernice's heart. Uh, I mean, <sighs> and there are a lot of rumors and myths about the heart being found in a frying pan in the kitchen on the stove. It, no, it was in a bag. Okay. I'm sorry. I mean, in fairness, I also don't think that's how you cook up a heart. No, no, it's not. <laughs> That is like, that is tough muscle. I think you got to low and slow that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. In any case, you shouldn't be eating a human heart, kids, unless you are starving and have no other options. Yeah. Cannibalism is a last resort. Ed had some unique looking chairs in the kitchen that upon further inspection showed that he had replaced their woven cane seating with strips of human skin and the cushioning inside with human body fat. Yeah. Not even the hair, the fat? The fat. Okay. Yeah. That's not sanitary. No, it's not. Nothing about this is sanitary. (laughs) I get that, but when you say strips of human skin, I'm like, okay, well, maybe he tanned them. Yeah. He, He worked to tan all the Okay. Human skin he worked with. You can't tan fat, right? No, it just sits there and... Fat goes rancid. Yeah. What? Okay, go on. Uh, There were four chairs total found furnished with Ed's grotesque upholstery. Can't talk anymore. The stupefied officers worked slowly but surely, uncovering bracelets, lampshades, a tom-tom, a sheath for a hunting knife, and a wastebasket, all fashioned from human skin. There was even a shade pole with a pair of women's lips sewn in. Oh! A box was found in the home, with nine vulvas collected from his victims. <laughs> Most were dried up, but one had been coated in silver and trimmed with a red ribbon. Oh! Uh, no thank you. Yeah. No thank no. you. No, 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 no. The topmost vulva was the most fresh and still had the anus attached. Oh. Upon closer inspection, the forensic investigator who found it saw that it had been coated in salt. Uh, yeah. I mean, that uh, that's that's a sensible way to do it. I, I suppose. There was another box with four noses inside. And a Quaker oats container filled with human skin. (laughs) Why are we dragging the oatmeal into this? It's just a container he had. What did the Quakers ever do to you? I know they have nothing to do with Quaker oats, but like, what? (laughs) Okay. And then came the items Ed had made to wear. Investigators found several pairs of leggings made from human legs and a belt made of women's nipples. The nips? The including areola. I... Yeah. I... I, I get... I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm trying to work out the logistics of this, and I feel like I really shouldn't because my brain feels very broken right now. I... Okay, I guess if they're buxom, then I... Yeah. 
Oh, and he's only got like what fourteen to make it eighteen. Eight. Oh, right, right, right. The two fresh ones. No, because it was nine before Bernice, and then oh, there was nine before Bernice. Okay, okay, okay. I've caught up. Or actually, ten before Bernice, because oh. nine out of Graves married and then Hogan. one fresh, and then okay, yeah. I guess with eighteen, that's somewhat doable, depending on the size of the areola. Yeah, he must have been a skinny guy, though. Oh yeah, he was very tiny. Yeah, I mean, my God, I'm sorry. That's really not the focus of this. What the fuck else did they find, Melody? Yeah, if you found that, this is this can be a lot. If you thought the nipple belt was a lot, um, no, I'm I'm mostly just trying to work out the logistics of that. Oh God. They had found a skin torso of a woman, breast included, which had been tanned and had a cord attached so it could be worn as a vest. But most shocking of all that was found in Ed's collection of things to wear were his skin masks, complete with scalp, fashioned from the heads of his victims. Anyone who knew the victims the skin belonged to could identify them based on the features of the faces. Listen, I get that that's fucked up. I get that that is deeply fucked up. I am still wrapping my head. Uh, like, that, that, that is, like, a basic job, right? That is, like, you do the thing, you tan it. But the nipple thing required, like, a lot of handiwork. I mean, a lot of this stuff required handiwork. Yeah, chairs, but you know, like... This, like yeah. The sheath for a knife, a lot of it required tanning and sewing and... That's what he's gotten good at. There are so many easier ways to make a belt, Melody. That's not the point. I know it's not the point, but I'm I'm fixating because otherwise I have to deal with the fact they took off everybody's nipples. So, yeah. yeah. You're fixating because you're dealing with the fact that you took off everybody's nipples, actually. Yeah, yeah. You're you're fixating because you're on that. (laughs) Yeah. But pulling away. Uh Uh-huh. Because there's more details. Melody, no. (laughs) A few of the masks were dried out. Others looked as though they had been preserved with oil for better care. Four of these masks had been stuffed with paper and hung up on the wall. And as it turns out, these were the actual shrunken heads Ed had shown the boys years before, making up the story about the cousin in the South Pacific. Sure. Sure. Of course, these boys have no idea what an authentic shrunken head looks like. So they believed him. Of course not. It's the middle of Wisconsin. In the 1940s. Nobody's got shrunken heads. Yeah. Like, it's it's such an odd thing to have. No one would know what it looks like. No. Not like now. No. While inspecting an old horse hide in the home, a deputy found a bag inside with what looked like a mass of hair attached to some skin. Mm-hmm. He pulled out the mass of hair to hold up a head, which another officer standing nearby saw and responded to by saying... By God, it's Mary Hogan. Many body parts and carnage were found in the Gein home. The waste all contained in the small section of downstairs that Ed actually used. This made the part of the home that was boarded off. The room behind where he slept intimidating for the officers. If what they had already found was what Ed was willing to keep out in the open... What could possibly lie behind a boarded-up door? They took nails out of boards and opened up the door to find perfectly preserved as Augusta Keene left them. 
the parlor, and Augusta's bedroom, covered in a thick layer of dust. Completely untouched since the day Augusta Gein died, stood the holy place of Ed's God. Did you ever have to, like, in Honors English, like, talk about, like, the symbolism of houses? Like, in, I like, fiction? I never took Honors anything, but, yeah, they made us try to make up bullshit symbolism about everything. That's just yeah. English class. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. Uh, well, I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the dumbest thing. I like bullshitting people and getting an A on it. It's <laughs> it's nice. It's validating. I'm getting a good grade in lying. Oh. See, that's the opposite of validation for me. Yeah, but see, I made it up. It's fun. <laughs> it's a game. Um, in any case, yeah, um, could have a field day with this fucking house. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the hunt for the rest of Bernice kept going. While searching the home, her entrails were found wrapped in newspaper in an old men's suit. They still had not found her head, though. One officer began rummaging through the summer kitchen again. He noticed a mattress in the corner of the kitchen and lifted a corner of that. Behind the mattress, he saw an old burlap feeding sack. The officer had picked it up and reached inside, revealing the head of Bernice Warden with a new accessory. The head covered in blood and dirt also fashioned two tenpenny nails bent into hooks in the ears. These hooks were connected by two foot lengths of twine, making the head of Bernice Warden an ornament for Ed to hang. Yeah, that's... What the fuck? Yeah. What the fucking fuck? It took 30 hours for investigators to get Ed to confess to Bernice's murder. This time was made longer because one officer who had been going through the carnage inside Ed's home approached him and pinned him against a wall. The other officers pulled him off, and Ed went deeper into himself, making a confession an upward battle. During his description of events, he says that he doesn't remember the actual murder, that he was in a daze for that part. He could remember just about everything else, dragging Bernice, switching cars, hanging her up in the summer kitchen, bringing her blood in a galvanized pail to a hole near the outhouse, and burying the liquid. But the shooting and killing of Bernice Warden was a blank. The actual gutting, he remembered it as gutting a deer. He asked about the items in his home made of human skin, the skulls, various pieces of bodies, and Ed denied that they were all from murder victims. For the first time, someone else was clued into Ed's late night trips to the local graveyards. Ed told the officer about going into his days and robbing the graves, leaving them in apple pie order when he left. Did he, did he call it apple pie order? He called it apple pie order. That is not my phrasing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. When the investigators felt they had the information that they needed from Ed in questioning, they brought him to the farm to guide them to places where victims' body parts and blood were disposed of. They were followed by eager journalists snapping photos of Ed and his awkward, disconcerting grin. A couple hours after being taken around his property to help the officers find anything they could find on their own, Ed was set for his arraignment. Ed Gein was charged with armed robbery of Warden's hardware and implement store at this hearing. As the items of his own were still being sifted through, the judge decided to hold off on any charges pertaining to murder until they had their ducks in a row. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> get them on what you can for now, and then we'll figure out the rest. Yeah, get them on tax fraud, because at least then they're in, you know? Exactly. Ed requested counsel, as he could not afford his own. 
bail was set for $10,000 and court adjourned for one week while Ed was able to obtain counsel. In the meantime, investigators from around the area were looking into the evidence and questioning Ed Gain in multiple missing persons cases. As everyone was convinced, they found their singular monster in the area. It's never that easy. Oh no, never is. During his further questioning, the officers weren't able to get much luck at solving most of their missing persons cases. They simply weren't Ed. But after hours of pressing, they did manage to finally get a confession to the murder of Mary Hogan. Not that he had much of a choice with all of the evidence against him. Yeah. Yeah, they they found her head in your house, dude. That's pretty fucking damning. Yeah. Ed spends his time preparing for trial being examined by a team of experts in psychology. They diagnose him with an Oedipus complex in schizophrenia. You don't say. Which, yeah, during this time is a catch-all term for most mental health disorders. Oh, that was for the Oedipus complex. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. But yeah, schizophrenia is kind of the catch-all. Everything at this point in time. Yeah. But we do know that he had auditory hallucinations and delusions that would be consistent with a schizophrenia diagnosis today. Yeah. Yeah. Ed's new arraignment was held on November 21st, 1957. He was charged with one count of first-degree murder, to which Ed pled not guilty by reason of insanity, and he was deemed unfit for trial. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, yeah. Yeah. There's there's few cases where it's like, yeah, they aren't fit for trial. They're too crazy. Ed Gein's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So Ed was sent to the Central State Hospital for the criminally insane a maximum security facility for treatment. After 10 years of serving in the Central State Hospital, doctors considered Ed to be mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. And so Ed's actual trial began. The first of two trials started November 7th, 1968, without a jury at the request of the defense. This trial dealt directly with whether or not he was guilty of murder. A psychiatrist testified that they were unclear if the killing of Bernice Horton had been intentional or accidental, stating that Ed told them that he was trying to load the gun and it discharged. Ed, on the stand, told the same story. A week after hearing testimony, the judge ruled Ed guilty on the charge of first-degree murder of Bernice Horton. Good. The second trial dealt more with Ed's sanity and where he should be placed. After strong testimony from both prosecution and defense, the judge ruled that Ed was not guilty by reason of insanity and then sentenced him to life in Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. 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 That tracks. That's exactly what should happen with this man. Seems sensible. Yes. After Ed was caught, the 195-acre property was appraised to the value of $4,700, which is roughly $44,000 today. So that tells you a lot about Plainfield and how bad that farmland is. God, oh my God. That is nothing. That is terrible farmland. change. (laughs) There was an auction set for March 30th, 1958 of many Ed's belongings, but the house was burned down on March 20th. Yeah, a deputy deputy fire marshal reported that the fire was an accident from a controlled burn of Ed's things on the property. But there were no marks showing the fire moving from the controlled burn to the house. Arson was suspected, but never investigated, as Frank Warden was the local fire chief. (laughs) 
<laughs> Good on you, Frankie. Ed's 1949 Ford sedan was sold at auction and went to Bunny Gibbons, a carnival sideshow operator, for $760. He then put it on display and would charge carnival goers 25 cents for a real-life look at a ghoul's vehicle. Ed Gein died in Mendota State Hospital after having been transferred a few years earlier. He had been diagnosed with lung cancer and experienced respiratory failure. He was buried in Plainfield Cemetery in his family plot between Henry and his mother. Ed's grainstone for years was a site for vandalism and dark tourists to visit and chip off a piece of his gravestone. Then in 2000, the gravestone itself was stolen and not recovered until June 2001 near Seattle, Washington. <laughs> Fuck. It took a trip. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So now Ed's grave stands without a marker, though still obvious, surrounded by his family's plots. Ed Gaines' crimes captivated the nation. The real-life horror was enough to shake people's sense of security and fuel their nightmares. But for some, an inspired artwork that we are still familiar with today and continues to inspire more artwork as we go on. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho plays on Ed's unnatural attachment to his mother and need to kill women who didn't have her moral fortitude. Toby Hooper used the skin items as inspiration for Leatherface and his family in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the skin's items also inspired Buffalo Bill of Silence of the Lambs. Misconceptions about Ed's fascination with becoming his mother have fueled misconceptions about the trans community that can be seen in these works. At the time, and up until recently, the desire to change one's gender was seen as a mental illness by the field of psychology. And because Ed had admitted to wondering about what it would be like to have breaths in a vulva himself, they lumped this imp with his schizophrenic delusions. But we do know that Ed was having these thoughts of becoming a girl before his mother died and just embraced them more after she did. Not really linking them to the delusions built in his isolation afterward. There was no way of knowing if Ed was truly a trans woman stuck in a world that did not accept them. What we do know, though, is Ed's mother's extreme religious doctrine isolated him and gave him none of the skills he needed to become less isolated in this world. He was not given space to thrive no matter who he was on the inside. Maybe Augusta could have realized she had gotten the daughter she wanted after all if she had been a loving and supportive person. Instead, she achieved her goal of giving the world a man who was nothing like the others and ruined what could have been a perfectly fine human being. And that is the fucked up story of Ed Gein. What the fuck? Yeah. I have been cursed with this knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, you know about one of the most infamous killers of all time. Cool, cool. I get why. Um, everybody, please go get therapy. Yes. If your parent was an abusive drunk, go get therapy. If your parent was extremely religious in any religion, go get therapy. If your parents weren't religious and were just, like, really overtly not religious and, like, really staunchly about that, also get therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone should have a little therapy as a treat. Yes. Especially as this country is overturning rights. Also be very careful and make sure you know which, you know, like, 
who your therapist is as a person and which side their bread is buttered on. <laughs> like, you need to know what you can safely tell them and what you can't in these times. I have not turn, heard that phrase before. What? Which Knowing side what their butters, the, the bread is buttered on? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. I've never heard that before. Never? Never. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> please back me up on this. Oh, I needed that laugh. <laughs> Somebody listening to this, please email us and tell us that I'm correct. Oh, and that oh that I believe you that it's a phrase. <laughs> I've just never heard it before, and it took me off guard. Uh, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I like it. It's it's fun. Yeah, it's an interesting phrase, but yeah. It's very important that we find therapists that we can trust, and I hope that you are able, whoever you are, able to find someone that you can trust and feel comfortable speaking with. If not, there are so many excellent resources to help with symptoms. It isn't as perfect as going to see an actual trained therapist, but it's damn good enough especially if you're broke as shit like I was in college and I was basically just doing workbooks and things for therapy Mm. yeah yeah which is why on our patreon we post therapy on a budget tips hell yeah we do go check it out but yeah if you have any feeling like Ed Gein or Augusta Gein if you relate to any bit of this story I hope you get the therapy you need I hope that you grow and you heal because this was fucked up and listening to it can provide good balance to life, but we don't need to be those people. That's right. And with that, our listeners, I hope you have a great rest of your day, rest of your week, rest of your lifetime. If you never listen again, (laughs) (laughs) but like, do we do we do love we do love you i hope this didn't traumatize you too much thanks melody it did a little bit (laughs) yeah it's okay it traumatized me a little too i have seen things i did not need to see oh god you saw pictures i did oh i'm so sorry yeah all right stay safe out there guys go get therapy we love you we love you (laughs) bye bye